Hi, um, I'm Jer, Chupacabra. Okay, we're on. We have more big steps coming, right? Uh, yep. In about a week or two. A week. Got it. People want to order more big steps. Right? Oh yeah. Tell them to hang tight. I did. All right. They said you. They say you sick son of a bitch. Sailor. Yeah. Three, two. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Cat and Cloud Coffee Podcast. Brought to you by the Pull String Press. This is Chris Baca. I'm sitting next to my right hand man, Mr. Jared Truby, in the uh-huh, studio. Uh-huh. And with us today, we have a very interesting guest. He's a good friend of ours. And let me give you a little rundown of what this guy's done. So he was an investment analyst on Wall Street. That's right. In New York. He's a wolf of Wall Street. Wolf of Wall Street, where the bosses are. He was also a volunteer consultant at TechnoServe in Ethiopia and South Sudan. Uh, Did a little work for the Rainforest Alliance and was most recently the senior financial analyst at Verve Coffee Roasters in Santa Cruz, California. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you. Mr. Charles Jack. Charles! What's up, guys? Welcome. Hey, Charles. Thanks for the, the warm welcome. Oh, yeah. so warm. Yeah, you know, the warmer, the better. <laughs> is it the Glenn Livet? Is it? Or... <laughs> it's getting a little it's hot warm in here already. Glenn Livet right here. Oh. Get up next to the mic, Charles. You're just swinging. Oh, back. Sorry. Oh, there we go. Is that better? Yeah. Natural swing. El Nino is coming, so we got to keep Charles yeah, warm. Yeah, we got to keep him warm and tight. Um, we brought Charles on just because he's a, a really good friend and a homie, but then um, in my mind, he's got one of the most interesting coffee stories that I've ever heard. Mm. Um, I really like hearing about how people land in the coffee industry because usually it's a pretty weird, interesting story when you talk to the people who are the most passionate or have done the most things. And yours is kind of no exception. Yeah, so, it's kind of reverse. I feel like a lot of people I talk to come up through the cafe or mm-hmm. right. that way I kind of got into it at Origin and kind of yeah. came in the back door. You came in the back door. Charles, did you, <laughs> yeah. learn, yeah. or did you learn that Origin, <laughs> Charles? Or? <laughs> did it let you in or did you break through? <laughs> let's Just knock gently. <laughs> let's, let's rewind this thing a little bit. So Let's forget about coffee for one second. How could we, Chris? How could we? We're a coffee podcast. <laughs> you worked on Wall Street as an investment analyst. Doesn't have anything to do with coffee. Nothing. Take a brief moment. Talk about that. How you know? How did that work? How did you get into that? What's yeah, totally. Um, so Charles? I grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Okay. And my uncle was actually a commodity trading advisor. So mm. somebody that like trades commodities for for clients. And when I was in high school, I'd go over to his house and watch him trade markets. Like he would trade the coffee market. He traded corn and soybeans, oil, um, you know, all that stuff. And just talking with him, I got to learn kind of like how all these markets work and how all these kind of like economic forces around the world all interact and, you know, what drives supply and demand for things like coffee and other grains. And, um, yeah, it was just really interesting to me. And so I was like, oh, I think that would be cool to do. And um, went through school at the University of Tulane. I got like a finance degree. And a lot of my friends were up in New York. And, um, yeah, I ended up getting a job um, starting out as like an assistant trader for like this hedge fund called Kellogg Capital. Kellogg Capital. Yeah, they're, their offices, it's it's funny, like a lot of people in New York don't actually work on Wall Street, but our offices were actually... You were literally there. on like, Wall Street. Like, right, like, yeah, whenever there's like a bomb threat or something on Wall Street, it's actually like we were the people being evacuated. Sweet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you got to like leave the office every other day. Yeah, it was, dude, it was crazy. Like I was there in 2004 and there were still like after 2001, there were like threats on a lot of the buildings in New York and I would come up the subway to like lines of guys with AK-47s. Jeez. No way. And I'd talk, my mom would be like, really? Is that where you want to work? Are you sure? Oh, my mom would trip. Dude, she would call right. me like every day. What are you doing? Yeah, it's, Dude, we had this whole setup where if there was a terrorist attack, we had a whole other office in Miami. 
where I was somehow supposed to get there in the middle of a terrorist attack and operate our uh, trading business from Miami. So. Call up Will Smith. He'll get you there. Or Miss Ramos. Oh, Camila. Camila. Um, but yeah, I mean, dude, so I got a job there when I was like 23, 24. And super interesting. I mean, while you're working, it's really interesting because every week, every day you come in and you're learning something new. You know, you're we, we definitely like we definitely traded coffee. Like we didn't know anything about coffee or like coffee markets, but right. we'd like get up to speed on like Brazil. You know, it's all mm-hmm. about like Brazil's numbers. We'd look at like weather forecasts and, you know, you hear people talk about um, like volatility in commodity markets and, and coffee. But and like I definitely think there's something to, you know, investors and traders kind of I don't you know they provide liquidity for the market but they also kind of drive the prices potentially to extremes yeah. in like different directions interesting so. I know do you like, think if you like jumped forward and we'll jump right back yeah but if we jump forward a bunch of years do you think understanding <laughs> the behind the scenes stuff I keep making that stupid noise I'm sorry to all our <laughs> listeners I, I've developed this tick where I make this stupid noise I apologize I'm not gonna do it anymore I'm gonna quit um, I never used to do it back in the day. <laughs> We've got stuff. It's okay to make yeah. fun of yourself every once in a while. Uh, do you think understanding some of that stuff helped you out when you moved into like your work with Verve? And Yeah, I mean, definitely. So literally, I mean, all I did for six years when I worked in New York was analyze businesses. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, being my title is like senior financial analyst at Verb, but like so part of what I do is kind of like all the day-to-day financial uh like oversee all the day-to-day financial operations but the other thing is really uh, you know it's I think of it as like how I'm looking at all the different parts of the business and how can I improve Mm -hmm. the cafes how can I improve how we buy coffee how can I improve um you know wholesale so it's really like you're looking at it as like a business analyst. Well, Charles right. and I, well, right. you too. We all worked together for a bit there back when, and Charles was a big help to a lot of. He and I had a lot of yeah, long we conversations. Had a lot of interaction. I mean, because me being head of retail, I was I was pretty into that. Like I loved improving numbers and and trying to make the business tight. And so he and I would have pretty much every day. Yeah, I'd hit you up with some kind of interaction based yeah. on whatever cost of goods or waste labor. or labor or just like a million different things really and then going over P&Ls that was yeah. that was where he and I really got deep to just base it on like what I was perceiving based on what was coming in and like and you it was would, fun you would yeah. say something and then Charles would be like yeah maybe that's bullshit <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe maybe give me a reason why we can't do it this way oh man we were fu- yeah which I mean, is yeah. kind of fantastic but i think uh, no, no, really, no, i mean I, like on the financial side really it is it's just you just see the behavior in numbers. Yeah. You know, that's a lot of like, we would look at kind of the financials and look at like how businesses, how, how different cafes are being run. And you can just see like, you know, maybe I see something in the numbers and I mm-hmm. talk to JT about it mm-hmm. and be like, hey, like this number looks like this. Like, what were you guys doing yeah. here? And you'd be like, oh yeah, like we did this and mm-hmm. this changed it. So um, getting the whys to why numbers go up and down. Yeah. Or just how big. different behaviors affect mm-hmm. the numbers you get out of your business. Right. Yeah. Tight. So let's let's bridge the gap for a little bit. You um you were on Wall Street, and then at some point you end up in Ethiopia volunteering yep. for TechnoServe. And for the people who don't know, what is TechnoServe in a nutshell? What do they do? Yep, TechnoServe uh, has been a really great organization for coffee and coffee farmers, and especially coffee as well. So TechnoServe is a nonprofit nonprofit development organization that works with works to improve improve supply chains around the world. 
Um, so they work with a lot of different agricultural producers. Coffee is actually a really big focus of theirs. Um, but it's really about fostering entrepreneurship and uh, improving supply chains, helping connect producers to markets. Um, you know, all the things that can really improve livelihoods for farmers around the world. Mm. Great. So how did you find out about this and how the hell did you end up in Africa? Totally. So, um, yeah, I worked in New York for six or seven years, but it's one of those things where like when you're 80 and you kind of like look back on what your life was about, that wasn't like what I wanted my whole life to be about. Kind of like moving money around and working for super rich guys. And (laughs) yeah, it just... That wasn't what how I wanted to spend my time, and so I ended up leaving in two thousand and nine. Um, I did some different traveling. I, I was like woofing in New Zealand, Australia. If you know what woofing is, oh man, uh, I, I was don't like, know what woofing <laughs> is. <laughs> uh, woofing is willing workers on organic farms. So it's like actually a cheap way to travel. Like, dude, mm-hmm. I definitely encourage dude, any like baristas or anyone that wants to go travel in different places. Like, it's a really cheap way to travel because you just you spend like a couple hours a day working at like an eco retreat or like some kind of farm or a vineyard, and they like they like let you stay there and they give you all your food. And it's everything. like work trade. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of like work yeah. trade. And there's whole networks of it, like New Zealand, Australia, especially mm-hmm. around the world. Um, score. So I did that for. Uh, for a little bit of time, but then ultimately I wanted to get into um, more like in- international development work and use kind of like these like finance skills and experience. I had to do something different. So um, I ultimately I had a friend who was working for TechnoServe in Kenya, and after talking to him, um, I was already in Ethiopia on a different project. But that I talking through him, I got the job with TechnoServe. Okay, and oh man, it's so crazy. I want to hear. Was there a breaking point for you? I, I remember on Wall Street, I remember you telling me a story one time about how someone threw a sandwich at you. <laughs> Dude, I feel bad <laughs> at this story because like I'm actually really good friends with my boss from that period now, and he's he's definitely been like a mentor to me, but I just can't help like telling that story. He still threw a sandwich at you. Well, it's funny, yeah. I mean Yeah, I mean there's such there's almost like a hazing that happens okay. when you when you work with like a kind of like a hedge fund, like investment fund in New York. And so, you know, the lowest guy in the office, like he gets lunch. Uh <laughs> dude, he runs errands for people. He does all that stuff that like like a gopher, like kinda like a, yeah. on like a movie set or something Jeez. would do. And um yeah, so when I like, you know, first six months or a year there, like I was in charge of getting everybody's lunch. And my boss was just he's such a perfectionist and it's actually really instilled in me some like really good traits and like detail oriented and stuff like that. But like one day I think I was like late bringing him a sandwich and it like didn't have mayonnaise and mustard on it. Uh And he just, we sat across from each other and he just like opened it up and was like, what is this? And threw it like full arm motion. Like like, thousands of dollars of computer equipment and stuff and computer screens just threw it full, full steam. I, I tried to do like a wide receiver catch on it. <laughs> it was like all over my everywhere. shoulder. And then he'd, he'd tell you to go walk around the block. Go walk that around. Was, that was his other move. He's all take the sandwich and walk around <laughs> yeah, the block. Yeah. That's a classic Dominic Toretto move. <laughs> <laughs> I'm out forever. Go walk it off. <laughs> cool it off. Whoa. Did, did you know Jared just <laughs> dropped his chair like three feet <laughs> in one? That was crazy. Swoop. I hit it with my ankle. For walk it those. off. I wish we had a video in here. Um, did you know that you wanted to work with coffee at that point? Or was it just... TechnoServe, the chance to go to another country, another continent to yeah. check this out? Or? No, so definitely. So um, when I was in Australia and th- thinking about other places I wanted to go, I have a friend who works at the Nike Foundation. And they do the Nike Foundation does a lot of rad work with girls around the world. And um, 
so I'd got in touch with her and um, my girlfriend and I were at the time we're in Lebanon. We we're woofing on a farm in Lebanon. Yeah, and um, <laughs> and I actually got a, this email from my friends saying um, there, there's an NGO in Ethiopia called Women's World Banking. They're doing uh, this actually like United Nations project with like some local microfinance companies there and they were looking for someone to help out and um she'd like give it on my resume and so i had this interview on the phone in lebanon um and yeah it, it all worked out and they were like cool we'll see you in ethiopia next week so yes. <laughs> sure all yes you will yeah. Yeah, of course because where else would i be yeah, babe, right, we're exactly. all done woofing yeah exactly <laughs> i'm headed to ethiopia <laughs> yeah so i mean um yeah, I landed in Ethiopia. This project was actually really cool. It was about expanding financial services to um, women and, and people in the countryside more. Because, like, no one in Ethiopia has a bank account, you know? Right. I think, you know, maybe even in coffee, there's this idea of what farmers are like in Ethiopia and other places around the world. But to go there and see it, and we did, as part of this project, we did a lot of focus groups with kids um, between the ages of maybe, like, 12 14 and 21 and their parents and it was all about like kind of like their education family life what you know how they made money what they spent money on uh, what kind of services financial or otherwise are available to them and you know it, it's really crazy to hear some of the stories that they had and um yeah and i mean uh, you know ultimately you just gain like a greater respect for what people are doing there and, and you know and it it was just really good to see that kind of up close, I guess. Mm-hmm. Pretty impactful. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. What was the, was there one thing that really struck you? Like for me, the first time I ever went to origin, you, you see pictures and, and you know, you see farms and you see people carrying coffee bags around. But when I saw people literally hucking huge sacks of coffee, like on their back and just carrying the shit around all day, I was just like, damn, these cats work way harder than I'm probably ever going to work in my entire life. And it's insane to me that this stuff is as cheap as it is. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, it's everything from, you know, women and families chopping down firewood and carrying it like out from the outskirts of Addis Ababa into the city, you know, to use that as firewood to like seeing how hard these farmers work when I got out to the farms mm -hmm. and, you know, their kids are in the fields that, that everyone in their families in the field and and just everything they're trying to do and, and ultimately when i was working for technoserve you see the impact of kind of what i don't know we can go back to this with technoserve but they essentially created a new like specialty coffee district in like the west side of ethiopia that wasn't there before and it started a few years before i was there but you could see even after a few years and i think that kind of like duramina and that farm mm -hmm. okay. is uh, kind of like the poster child for that success that they've seen but you can see kind of like the difference that it makes talk about that setting up that district real quick or the backstory on that because i think it'd be interesting for people to hear yeah definitely so historically in western ethiopia uh you think about like jima area and jima coffees and and some some of the limu coffees like you know the vast majority of those farmers just didn't have any other option but to sell their coffee kind of kind of ginfell right is the name for the uh, just like the coffee right as it comes off their farm and it's dried natural mm. and um, sold into like the local market and local traders take it and they you know process it and things. Um, but ultimately it's just kind of like over time Technosur came in and, and really work. They worked to set up a number of cooperatives in the area. I think when I was there, there were maybe between like 70 and 75 cooperatives that they had helped set up in Western Ethiopia. And um, then it was about kind of helping 
helping them raise finances to get wet mills mm -hmm. in the area. Um, and then working with uh, kind of like providing agronomic support to help those cooperatives process coffee through the wet mills and then connect them with buyers, um, you know, Sweet Maria's, mm -hmm. uh, Stumptown, Pete's and Starbucks were like early supporters of the program. And, and you know, they were seeing essentially potentially getting paid like double yeah. um, of what they were receiving before from like the local traders. That's the trip. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that Origin that was tripped out on is obviously poverty, right? I mean, in general, they're working really hard. They're not making very much money. They got these families. But what was actually inspiring to me is that these people value life and time on a level that like, I mean, everybody talks about it, right? You go to third world countries or anywhere and these people are so happy and it's like, mm. it makes me so angry that all of us are so frustrated and stressed out all the time when the reality is that you can be so happy with so little and I'm like trying to get back to that place. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's an incredibly family oriented yeah. place and uh, an incredibly community oriented community. place. I feel like that's a uh, secret. I think that's one of the biggest things that I saw is just when you're out in smaller towns and just seeing how the community comes together. Yeah. That's something I want to create through Cat and Cloud one day. Anyway, keep going, Chris. Sorry, I just sidetracked. I was thinking about that. Oh, no, 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 no. I had to get it in. I, I love the commentary. <laughs> I love the commentary, commentary, guys. He brings the personality into the I bring personal to the ality. <laughs> <laughs> so how, how long were you in Ethiopia? Because you were in Ethiopia for a while and you moved. Yep, I was in Ethiopia all in for about a year. And then when you moved to South Sudan... Did, yeah. did your job role change or was it just a move in location or were you yeah, doing something so different? It, no, it, was a, it was a different job role as well. Um, when I was in Ethiopia, a lot of work I did was working with um, kind of some like working with the co-op leaders and helping them um, think about how they're paying back their debts and what money they're receiving, really kind of like doing some kind of like financial skills, capacity building with the co-op leaders and things. Um, but uh, kind of my, my boss there, Carl, he he was talking to me one day and said, hey, we're kind of uh, Nespresso is actually the, the funder for the program in South Sudan. And they're like, hey, they we're looking at sending somebody to South Sudan to see kind of suss out if we could create a program there kind of like we have in Ethiopia, Rwanda, Tanzania, Kenya. And he was like, he kind of knew I'd traveled a lot in my background and I'm pretty like low maintenance that way. And he's like, would you want to go? Uh, kind of like lead that program and i was like Dude, yeah that's what they just what just fin finished a war there and like <laughs> what independence is like next week like let's do it independence yeah. is next week <laughs> pretty safe. yeah yeah, totally yeah I, I ended up arriving there a week after uh their south sudan independence what? good lord pretty wild yeah, yeah what was that like amazing yeah Dude, the funny thing though was like i before we left i had to we like research ngos that are there because you can't get into the country without a work permit and um, I was traveling with my girlfriend, who's now my wife. And Congratulations. <laughs> you have a baby, too. Is that I right? do. Family. The wee baby Phoenix. Phoenix. Wee baby. <laughs> and um, so we actually researched all these NGOs and actually had her apply to these different NGOs in South Sudan so that she could come as well. So once we got that sorted out, then you know, we were there. That's pretty. And then how long? Okay. How long in Sudan? Yeah, totally. So I... Like I said, I got there about a week after independence. I kind of just landed there by myself. I had you know, never been there before. There's not a lot of infrastructure in the country. Jeez. And I had a few contacts at other NGOs because South Sudan at the time was kind of transitioning from humanitarian NGO help to more livelihood, right? Like 
now that everyone's safe and there's right. not a war, how do we then, uh, yeah, what, are, how do we then like develop people's livelihoods and what right. do people do for work and things like that? Um, cause I, whether you know, like South Sudan's only export is oil. Right. right, like all their really. If you listen to George Clooney, oh, right? Jorge Clooney, <laughs> I've they call him. I like George Clooney, <laughs> right? Like a nice George. Yeah, he's got a killer tequila out there and a strong jawline. <laughs> <laughs> and he's had malaria three times. And you've only had malaria. I've only had malaria once. So I once. have to respect him for that. I respect him for that. <laughs> he's survivor, uh, right? Um, yeah. So I, I landed. I had a few contacts at other NGOs. So. I set about kind of like meeting these people and listening what doing business in the country was like. Um, I met with like federal agricultural leaders, state leaders, local leaders, and um, just kind of set up the logistics and everything. We I eventually was joined um, a few weeks later um, by another TechnoServe employee from Kenya who was really the coffee expert because kind of at this point, um, you know, I didn't have. I, w- I wasn't a coffee expert, so they, mm-hmm. they needed like a coffee expert there as well. Um, so, yeah, him and I's original plan is like, you know, we kind of need to do a bit of a survey of like coffee in the country to see, uh, you know, what, what coffee is already growing. You know, is, there, is it all Robusta? Is it Arabica? Um, you know, what, what are logistics like? Can we transport the coffee anywhere? Um, where are the market centers? And, um, yeah, and just and just do a bit of research because nobody, you know, there'd been a war going on for the last thirty years, so right. um, nobody really had much information on the area. Like when I went there, we had some like hand drawn maps of like there may be coffee in this area, <laughs> Holy crap, <laughs> and there may dude. be coffee like on this mountain, and um, yeah. So so that was a lot of what we did was, you know, you kind of start federal, go state, go local, and talk to the leaders there and say, hey, this is what we've done in Ethiopia and this is what we've done in Kenya. We're looking at potentially trying to do this in South Sudan. Like, can, you know, is there coffee here? Can we go look at it? Can we see what type right. it is? Um, yeah. And I mean, cause historically, uh, just like South Sudan history, like historically there's been a lot of Robusta grown there mm-hmm. and it was all shipped up the Nile from Juba. It was all transported to Juba, shipped up the Nile and sent to the Middle East in the seventies. That's amazing. When you find coffee there, is it just like, we'd like to purchase this land, please? <laughs> you know? Like, how does that work? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you mean for... Well, I mean, like, when you right when you're like, we want to use this, do you try to convince the people on the land, hey, we should do this with your land? Or do yeah, you, you I mean, know? Dude, like, essentially, there's, there's no... There's very little local trade in coffee. It's actually interesting. Like, all the coffee you find in the markets in South Sudan is from Uganda. Okay. Which is crazy because there's actually a lot of coffee in South Sudan. Right. So when you guys are discovering these coffees on these random you know, <laughs> hillsides. hillsides and stuff like that, yeah. who who is in charge of that land? Yeah. So, <laughs> it, I mean, that's crazy as well because, again, like there's been war there for 30 years. Right. Like there's landmines everywhere. There's there's So there are people coming back from ref- – people have been in refugee camps in Sheesh. all these other countries around South Sudan and people coming back. Like we went – um, and visited farms around um, this town called Ye, and um, Yay. Y E I. Hey yo. Hey yo. None of that. None of that. Yeah. That's not. Right. And, uh, <laughs> Keep it tight, the techno sir. Beyond that, yay. <laughs> Just say no. Just say no to yay yo. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'd go visit farmers who were literally had come back from refugee camps in the last three to six months and were cutting their coffee trees out of like the jungle that had overgrown it. And, Jeez. Um, you know, so 
just very new. And, you know, we did find there is a, a lot of coffee in parts of the country, but a lot of it, most of it, the vast majority is all Robusta. Okay, really? And so, you know, TechnoServe, I think the, the opportunity there is really for higher quality coffee. Um, you know, Robusta as well, but, you know, you can really get more premiums and more money to the farmers if they're able to cultivate you know, Arabica. Yeah. So fast forward, you know, what year was that? That's 2011. Yeah. So what about what's going on there now with that? How did yeah. the project pan out? Totally. So so we so I kind of like we finished up that kind of like exploratory program, um, and I worked with another person at TechnoServe to write kind of the grant document for that program and submit it to Nespresso. Um, you know, things kind of moved slowly, and I think the program was approved in 2013, which okay. was really awesome to see that it ended up yeah. getting approved and. Um, and then yeah like the program got funding and there are i think particularly around yay there there's like farmer assistance happening and co-op formation happening and kind of all the early stages of things that need to happen to almost really like put together from the ground up a coffee industry mm -hmm. so the wheels are still turning on this thing yeah i think it's either moving in the right is either 2013 or 2014 the first coffee was exported oh cool from south sudan in probably like 30 or 40 years and the first non-oil export you know, in like the same amount of time. That's kind of a big deal. That's a very big deal. <laughs> that's psychotic. Inaugural grant writer over here. <laughs> this guy. <laughs> Charles Jack Didn't basically even invented the coffee export <laughs> system out of <laughs> South Sudan. <laughs> Didn't even bring a bottle of champagne to christen the thing, did you? <laughs> you heard it here first. We just, got some Glenn Just the Glenn Livet. Courtesy of Jared Truby. Yeah, I got you. He takes care I of his people. Um, Damn, son. So when you decided... That you were going to leave South Sudan. You didn't come straight into the U.S. No, and, and by decided it was that I got malaria <laughs> so badly that I, like, you my wife had died. to, like, carry me onto an airplane and, like, out of the country. That is intense. Yeah, yeah no hospitals in South Sudan. So they're there. just like, this guy's going to die. Get him out of here. <laughs> yeah. He's all, that's maybe true. That's maybe true. <laughs> yeah. Babe, get me on this plane. I might be dying. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I had really had like rough complications with my uh, dude. Everybody there gets malaria. You know, it's like I talked to people before I went, and they're like, "Oh, you'll get like malaria like three times. Like the second time, it's not as bad." You know, <laughs> you're like, I never wanted again <laughs> yeah. ever. No, I it did not agree with me. <laughs> malaria um, did not agree with me. Well, let's make a shirt. <laughs> yeah. can, can you imagine, Jared, either of us getting malaria? I don't want to, but We'd I be could so try. <laughs> and it's it's a combination of about every bad symptom you can think about all happening at the same oh time. Oh God, mud butt. I'm yeah. such a. <laughs> it's I'm such a it, hypochondriac. It's, it's pretty so solid. Seven like, days of hell. <gasps> <gasps> I think if I knew I had something, it'd be less terrible than thinking. Not if I you had malaria, bro. You would be <laughs> tripping balls. There's no chance. I'm like, how do I make it stop right now? You'd be like, I don't know, Chris. Do I have I to? Make, I don't know. Uh, do I have to wait it out? It's gonna be over. Can I keep flushing? I'll keep flushing. Um, but yeah, I mean, eventually we we shortly after that we came back to the U.S. from Ethiopia, and um, kind of in between then and and when I ended up coming on with Verve, um, I did some consulting work for the Rainforest Alliance. How did you get into that? Yeah, because, I mean, after seeing kind of the whole coffee supply chain in, you know, in Eastern Africa, like, I just, I, I don't know, I thought, I thought it was really cool and something I could, I could spend more of my time on. So someone that I'd worked with in Ethiopia had later gone to the Rainforest Alliance and through her, um, I was able to do some work with them. So I feel like we're breezing over something maybe that um, 
we haven't really talked about. By this point in time, you've fully like fallen in love with coffee or the idea yeah, of coffee. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because so full disclosure, like my dad is uh, he's British, so I'm. I was like a tea guy for tea a really guy. long time. Oh, a little orange pico <laughs> for you. Yeah. Tea time, a little scotch pancakes. A little biscuit. Oh, scotch pancakes? Yeah. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Did you fall in love with coffee, though, or did you call, fall in love with coffee farmers and the practices? I, I think I think everything. I mean, okay. I, I'd say really I started drinking coffee on a daily basis in Ethiopia. It's, it's actually really cool there, the offices. I mean, we had someone who... Um, kind of their whole job was to make sure everyone constantly had coffee. Great. It was just a continuous awesome coffee service that happened in the office. I want some right now. Still, I've been craving that. coffee all evening, but I'll Someday. stay up all night if I do. You when know, we are actually in Santa Cruz proper, and we have our own studio set up in the roastery or something. We're gonna start podcasting in the morning, hopefully with coffee. For everybody who doesn't know, we do these things pretty late Seven, at night. Seven, eight, nine at night. And we don't really have coffee after 2 p.m. necessarily. <laughs> yeah. so. Also, every night we do these things. The next day, Chris has to work at 5, and I'm up pretty close to the My dream well. is to podcast in the morning and drink coffee while we're podcasting. Yeah, and we'll just talk about how tasty that and bean is. talk about how tasty that bean is. Maybe we'll even like, take submissions and give some love. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll figure Maybe this thing out. Maybe a little coffee ceremony, you know, like the Ethiopian. Literally coffee, coffee ceremony. ceremony. We should little, do it. Shout out to Scott Lucy. He did an Ethiopian coffee ceremony. It's roasted true. coffee uh, on yeah. stage at the USBC Do you have a little frankincense? Uh, I don't know if he had a little frankincense. Uh, <laughs> I don't pop, remember popcorn? that part. Uh, I remember there was chaff flying everywhere. He had an open skillet. I don't know if Devin did Devin did one as well. Devin Chapman uh, did a full coffee, Ethiopian coffee situation at USBC in Houston, and I think he might have had the whole deal. Did he yeah. roast it too? No, he didn't roast it though. Oh, he like pan roast it? He did yeah. the whole ceremony. Yeah, he had Scott, something smoky Scott pan roast it. Yeah, that's the and real the deal. Whole, the, what's it called? What's the pot called? Oh, fail. Was there a Chalston? Chalston. <laughs> there was a Chalston. <laughs> so you did, did a little Rainforest Alliance work, yep. and then lo and behold, like one day you kind of stroll into the office at Verve. Yeah. There's this, <laughs> and you were. Well, as it was told to me, I don't know what the actual situation was. It's like, oh, this guy's just going to help out Mike for a while. Yeah. And Mike's the, the CFO. Yeah, Mike's the CFO. He's one of the owners, and mm -hmm. he's been kind of holding down all the all the financial side of Verve for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, Mike's kind of like a genius guy. Yeah, definitely you know, one of the smartest guys. Mike's got his Mike's got his shit together. <laughs> yeah, he holds it down. <laughs> Although he wouldn't, you know, want me putting it like that. He but would never want you cursing, Chris. <laughs> he would not. But Mike <laughs> would be very bummed. Mike, you got your shit together, oh, man. <laughs> respect. Mike, we got respect yeah. for you. So this Shout was like, out. oh, this is Mike's little buddy. Yeah. He's like, he's gonna help out Mike. <laughs> yeah. Hang out in the corner. It's cool. Um yeah, no, um through um you know, through kind of people that like Chris Jordan, who um, was hired as a CEO at that time, he had actually been the country director in Ethiopia when I was there. And um, so d through him, that was kind of the, the Verve connection. Yeah. And you came on, they got you a nice Acer computer, and then you just Ooh. went to business. Whole setup. And did you know, okay, when when you first came, did you know you were going to stay or was it literally it a was, trial? Um, it was kind of a trial. You know, I mean... Verve's still pretty small. I mean, it was even smaller then, and it was just very kind of like, kind of like a family and mm -hmm. small group of people. So, uh, I think it's pretty close knit as to kind of like, here's all of our books. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Help a brother out. <laughs> Organize these things for me a little bit. Yeah, but but Mike was doing so much that it was, um, you know, I was able to hop in and 
um, you know, my background was a fit and I was able to help him out pretty quickly. Did you guys do things very similarly? Was it like a quick match in that way? Yeah, definitely. I think we we definitely like vibe on each other really well and, and think about things in a similar way. Like we have really, I mean, some of my favorite conversations are just kind of discussing the business of coffee and mm-hmm. and we'll just like his thoughts and my thoughts and dude maybe we could try this or how does this work one of our favorite conversations that you and i had was pastries remember those <laughs> yeah. remember you get, we can get deep those? in yeah. the, the lot charles of and i yeah i was we had we had similar vibes on the pastry game but it doesn't matter there's yeah uh, i mean oh i don't what i was gonna say is that the first thing that i really i mean i remember you the first couple of days but then the one thing that stuck out in my mind when I, like, we were first kind of starting to be friends was you're like, well, what are you going to do this weekend or something? And I was like, I don't know. And you were like, well, whatever you're into that you want to do that nobody else wants to do with you, I'll do that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, remember that. I, I remember that. And that, to me, <laughs> just kind of sums up your personality yeah. in a lot of ways. You're, you're very, you're like a sponge. You like to soak things up and yeah. experience different things, you know, with no borders. And I was like, oh, that's that's kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. He's going to do like the weird guy. Yeah. No, I love that, too, because I was, there was the same thing, right? You were like, I want to come hang. And I, Izzy was like young. And I was like, I can't, I don't really have anything. I can, I'm just going to sit at home and like watch a movie or all. Well, I'll come over and do that yeah <laughs> i'll bring that, a beer <laughs> and i was like yeah, right. i, I like, like that, that idea the first few times we hang is like it's just nice to find people you can chill with yeah it was like know? i was like yeah exactly and i was like this guy can come over i barely know him and we can sit down and watch a movie and drink a beer and like have a little conversation and it feels super normal yeah i was like that's good yeah exactly. let's keep doing that <laughs> did was transitioning into the consumer side of coffee a big thing for you did you pick up a lot of different stuff because before verve you're basically at origin working exclusively yeah. on the production producing side and now you're in a roastery mm-hmm. a company that roasts and does retail you know what kind of what kind of things clicked in your brain yeah no i loved it because i mean like you said like i i'm super curious i always want to learn how things work mm-hmm. to like a fault and so having seen the origin side and the farmer side of things, um, it was really natural to like, how does this work? How does this work? How does this right. work? And really um, just diving into like all the aspects of the business and then kind of learning how it all works. And through doing that, then you're able to kind of like give feedback on certain things. Right. And, and that's, I mean, that's really, I think one of the coolest things about my job is I get to interact with all the different sides of the business. Like I get to interact with green coffee. I get to interact with wholesale. I get to interact with retail. Yeah, you have to really know how a good business runs in coffee. Yeah, exactly. On a whole different level. Yeah. Yeah, that was fun to be in all those meetings. I loved doing the financial meetings at the end of every month because I was so hungry to make it better. And like, <laughs> yeah, no, totally. I mean, that's what, and that's really what I love now is like, uh, you know, we have, I have like one on ones each month with cafe managers and sometimes assistant managers, mm-hmm. and we go through all the numbers and, you know, what were you guys doing here that made this happen? And, um, you know, how do different behaviors like influence these numbers? And, um, yeah, it's, it's just great. I really love like teaching and coaching and, and just, you know, a lot of times if you come up in the cafe, maybe you don't think about, uh, you know, how is the overall business of the cafe doing? So yeah. I get to have those conversations with people and it's super fun. Yeah. What would you think is the most, like the misnomer of somebody thinking like, about analysts or financial people in coffee business, right? <laughs> yeah. When everybody's like, they take their guests and they're like, this is what they do. What do you think is the biggest, like, that's not even close to like what we do? Besides yeah, obviously I mean, I, you look I think, at numbers, that's boring. Yeah, definitely. Right? I mean, I think you, you definitely get like, 
you could say you get like put in a box and like right uh they're just looking at numbers like exactly. they're not connected to the business but mm-hmm. you know I, I have conversations with mike about this just to like when you when you're there and looking at the numbers like you have to understand how the business works but once you see the numbers it, it gives you like even further insight into like into what we're doing on a daily basis and, right. and how we could potentially improve things and mm-hmm. um you know really just become like a business analyst like hey let's try this like what happens when you do that and right um you know ultimately just talking to the people running the business and providing feedback and things like that all right this is just like a we'll probably go into a deeper part of this but if you had oh, one yeah. nugget of information for the business people out there the cafe owners out there that don't have a financial analyst what would you tell them to do besides get a financial analyst <laughs> <laughs> track one down yeah um i mean i think probably some cafe managers just manage their business intuitively mm-hmm. you know i mean I, w- one thing i'm a big fan of is there's probably one or two metrics that are probably not that hard to track yeah that give you a really good idea of how your business is operating mm-hmm. that you can look at pretty quickly and just understanding what those like one or two metrics are um running your business will just hugely save you time and like tell you how you're doing when you know when you're doing it on the daily yeah cool metrics everybody look at your numbers <laughs> pay attention use your pos systems <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean well you bring up an interesting point right the um the numbers mean a lot but not like not by themselves right and right. the you know intuitive i know how to brew coffee or make a cafe run or I'm also, selling things. Also means a lot, but not necessarily by themselves. Yeah. So it takes the combination of the both, which sounds obvious. Right. Obviously, everyone's like, well, duh, Chris. Like, yeah, you want to know your numbers. But I, I don't know. I never heard anything about numbers for well, and people a billion also, years. Yeah. And, you know, I work places where they just, like, run the gun and do it because the cafe is crushing exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. Not knowing that there's untapped potential and there's still money lurking in the shadows that could be had or you're by wasting. tightening up a few things or right. you're wasting heavily. Yeah. And and again, like, you know, I think this is another thing that people probably say, oh, like, like you're just interested, like the finance guys are just, they're like, you're just in it to like, how much money can we make? Right. But I don't think it's about that as much as if you run a good business, you're able to do so much more for your employees. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I talk with you guys, you guys, you know, talk about like professional development and sending people to origin and, and things like that. And I a hundred percent believe in it. And I think my thing is like, if you run a good business, you have, you then have the ability to do so much more for the people who work for you. Right. And if you don't run a good business, then you're then you're gonna be like, oh, we just we just don't have the money to like send you to Costa Rica, or, right. you know, because you're not running a good business, right? And what kind of a bummer? Like, how how bummed would you be if the difference between being able to do that and not is just kind of maybe paying attention? It's just yeah, totally. It's what just a paying bummer. attention. Like, if, if I only paid attention, I could send somebody to Origin, dude. Right? I mean, it's it's managing your cogs, it's managing right. your labor. That's it's, cost of goods, y'all. It's knowing. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> some people don't know what cogs are out there. I guarantee it. <laughs> you know, it's, not trying to sound pompous. <laughs> just saying. You know, there there is a very like basic business model of like running mm-hmm. a cafe or running like especially coffee cafe and you know it's very like basic things that that you do and you get a good outcome yeah loving it awesome this is some these are some good nuggets here people have nuggets i wonder how many people are in their minds right now like i want to ask him so many questions yeah if you guys have uh, questions for charles you should I think let us somebody know. Actually, wrote us a question yeah about actually finances. if i could i okay toss yeah. out a, let's do that that question let's roll this okay we're gonna roll this let's into a, Q&A. a we got a financial 
Q and A. Yeah, so, you wanna... um, we're just gonna let Charles. Yeah, we'll let Charles answer this thing. Answer it. Are you ready, Charles? Bring it on. Okay. It's been brought in. It's from brought in. <laughs> it's not from botanist. It's from. It's been brought in. Cha 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 cha. This is from Louis Corso. C K. Louis C K. wrote Louis C K. wrote in. He says, "I'm a CPA with a fair amount of operational experience in small business and love for the coffee industry." One thing I've always been very interested in is how you balance the artistry elements of coffee with the realities of running a business. I think this would make an interesting topic, at least for me to listen to, especially since I've always had an interest in going into the industry with a focus on actual running of a successful business. Thanks, Lewis. Yeah, and I mean, I think you guys comment on this as well. Like, I think it goes both ways. I think, again, like just like we talked about, if you run your business well, you have so much more room to do what you want artistically. Mm-hmm. And as well, I think if you're a really good artist and you, you know, you, you market your brand and you, you know, you do these things that are, that are artistic in different ways, like that in itself probably drives revenue and improves your business right. and allows you to run a better business. I don't think it has to be one or the other. I'm curious what you guys think as as artists. As artists, I um I'll take the non-artisan practical approach and I don't know, you know, um Lewis, I don't know where you are or where you live. San Jose. Oh, he's in San Jose. Yeah. He's like in the heart. Oh, yeah. nice. The city. Okay. Well, depending on where you are in San Jose, I would say mind, you know, mind your market and mm-hmm. see what your neighborhood has to offer, see what your neighborhood wants. So uh, San Jose is weird because it's kind of in that middle ground, you yeah. know, it's near the tech industry. Well, it's a large city, but it's mm-hmm. not it doesn't have the population density of like San Francisco or it's not as like banging as L.A. or something like that. And the mm-hmm. only reason I mention that is that in once you get into smaller, more suburban places, which maybe depending on where you are in San Jose, um, that's true for you or not. People expect a different thing out of their coffee shop and they're willing to wait less for different things. So what I'm mm-hmm. well, I guess what I'm getting at is just by sheer volume, if you're in San Francisco or L.A. and you want to do like a sweet little pour over setup and it takes people five minutes to get like one cup of grab and go coffee, and you do pour over only that might fly in a big city or in a neighborhood that is slamming. But if you're in a more mellow neighborhood um, or in the suburbs at all, it might it might not work out for you. You know, you might need to really yeah. turn over um, customers really mm-hmm. fast. People might not actually care about that, and that's totally okay. Get in it for the long play because we've seen that where we've worked too, to where some of our best, most coffee geek, coffee centric customers, you know, they started out as Get large mochas or grab and go coffee mm-hmm. with tons of cream. Like I just want to go. And that's okay. And over time, they built to trust us to, you know, serve and drink some of those more boutique things. So no, if you no want to serve those things, don't forget about them or, or let them go. Just keep in mind, like, okay, maybe I have a long play mm-hmm. going on here. No, I get you. And and then as an artist, I mean, I think it's staying true to what you love through that art. I mean, everybody who tries to adapt themselves into a different mold automatically loses themselves. And so it's like you can read authentic artistry or 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 personality coming through in a business from the owners or you can see through that and if it's not there it's not as attractive no matter what anybody says it's like you can you can build a brand that looks really great and at some point when it's when it's missing the mark authentically then you're just gonna feel less attached and less connected to to going there and i mean it's still gonna be successful i mean my big thing is like 
people don't buy what you do they buy why you do it and they buy who you are yeah, right you I know? Tol- yeah i fully agree it's with like that. A, an emotional connection i'm gonna throw back on both you guys right now and just push this issue a little bit let's say th- those are those are things i definitely believe in mm-hmm. but what do you think about like the check yourself method playing off of what i just talked about so um let's say let's say you're not in san jose let's say you are in small town usa and yeah. you're real passionate about um, weighing every shot before it goes into the porta filter, um, measuring every extraction output, and all you know, all those things, making really fine by the cup like crafted coffees, and you end up with wait times that are 15 minutes per customer. Yeah. Right? Is it then, you know, are you cheating yourself to say like, okay, I'm going to dial back on some of these things and do things a little differently so that I can actually have a business, even though I'm not super pumped on batch brewed coffee but i still love coffee right you know would you say that that's not being authentic or no, i wouldn't say that's not being authentic though i think there's a way i mean if if you want to be hyper authentic i think and do all of those things right i think you need to go into it with the mindset of i need to buy a small place and i need to plan ahead to know that i'm not trying to sell a lot of coffee in volume you it's like a different business model in my mind right you like in my mind you go into it in a different mindset right you plan to do that and not maybe make a lot of money. Right. Or like, or cause kind of what you're saying is kind of you, you offer things for everybody, but then you kind of highlight your like artist side over here. Yeah. I guess what That's I'm what saying is like, oh, well, no, what I'm saying is if someone, you know, like I'm from Modesto, small town, there's right. a couple specialty coffee mm-hmm. places there, you know, and their reality is different than uh, the reality in Santa Barbara, San Francisco. Would you say that if those people are passionate about those boutique artisan things, but they do other things just to make their business run, are they not being authentic? Uh, and will people not like that? No, I think they need to to be able to be wise enough to get people in the door first, right? And and, and coerce them into becoming who they are. And then just because I want to hear a little bit more about this, because I think it's interesting, <laughs> and I know Jared, you feel like super passionate about this. Talk a little bit more about. Um, what being authentic means to you and how that shines through. And I only ask that because I think if you asked, you know, 10 business owners, uh, you know, are you authentic? Does your brand resonate with you? Is it really what Everyone you want to do? They would always say, Oh, of course, yeah. like totally. Mm-hmm. But you know, there are external pressures, you know, what are totally, what are some key? I know that's a, that's a <laughs> messed up question. <laughs> No, no, no. But I that, mean, you know, that's like your spot. It's well, you know it's what I'm saying? Where I'm the most hungry about. Yeah. I think I'm the most hungry about it when I see anybody out there feeling like they can't be themselves because they're worried about what somebody else is going to think about them. And so in my mind, like if I'm going to open up a business and I'm going to be me in that business, I have like core values that appeal to people, right? Like when it comes to service, I mean, I think most people that talk to me will be like, he's a weirdo, but he's really nice and he's pretty funny and he's laid back or whatever the case may be. And he makes pretty good coffee. But at the end of the day, like if I'm changing the whole structure, because the business is me, I guess. Right. And whoever I'm working with, me and yourself. Right. Right. If I go into this business, and I'm like, okay, stop being Jared. You need to be. Dwayne Sorensen, you know, like, what's he like? And then you like, because that works and that makes me money, I'm sure. Then you're just like going to end up spinning your wheels. And for me, that's a big part of it. Right. Because right. people have different strengths and people you, have should, different you strengths. should play to your strength, right? But yeah. also, like, if you have a passion for things, like, that's the whole point. And if you, if you like, lay off your own passions in order to 
whatever, do what you think is going to make you money only or do whatever you think somebody else is going to think is cool, then you're just, that's just sad. I don't know. And I don't don't think you're going to like going to work every day. You won't like going to work. And therefore, people will start vibing on that in and of itself, right? If If you go into work with anything other than 100% belief in what you're doing, then that is automatically going to trickle down through every single human being that comes into contact with you. Whether you mean to portray that or not, it is the reality. Yeah, your customers are going to notice. And your employees. And your employees employees are going to notice. And if you come to work trying to be what you're not, then your employees, well, first of all, you're not going to be able to be consistent with that because you're going to be trying to live how you aren't and you're automatically going to fall out of sync with yourself. And you're going to be like, oh, shit, I was supposed to be like really into say you're not into quality, but you're saying I'm into quality. Like we're a quality based brand. Everything we do is perfect. And then you come into your cafe as an owner and you're actually not that into quality and you're into something else and you give off all this other stuff and you you let quality slip all around you or you don't give quality. And everybody around you is going to be like they said they're into quality, but this isn't quality. And that's going to be read all the way out to your customer base. And inevitably, you've been either at like doing tacit approval or whatever it is. You know, like you're not who you say you are, and then all of a sudden, your company is not what you and, say it and is. And people pick that, pick up on so that. Quickly. And I think the the brands and companies that people really like to be a part of are things that they identify with and identify with, like the authenticity oh, of it. You know? I do. Right. I mean, if I can right. think about like brands that yeah. you like identify with. I mean, I'll give the shout out to Four Bell right now. We were talking about it on the way over here. They've kept it real since the get go. They never changed. They're doing pretty well, I feel like. And no private equity money. No. Yeah, like, and here we are. And I have mad respect for them. And there's, there's other companies like this as well. But I feel like if anybody is proving currently that you can be who you are and it works, it's them. Is that okay to shout out? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I feel you like can, I did. No, I, no, I you like can, those guys. You can shout out whoever you want. I, I, when I think of authenticity, I or brand value or mm-hmm. brands that I love, I rarely think of coffee. Exactly. In my mind, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, there's certain, you know, everyone's got like a, a lifestyle. So in, you know, in the skateboarding world, there's hundreds of brands, but there's a few that resonate really for me. And it, I just feel like I can identify with that company, their team, mm-hmm. the product that they put out, the whole thing. And everything's right. got, you know, there's these little bits of like boom, boom, flare, but mm-hmm. for the most part, everyone's got like this cohesive thing, right? Yeah. You know, you talk about like obviously I have a lot of like girl chocolate, yeah, yeah. skateboard yeah. stuff, yeah. and you think of a certain thing when you think of those brands, um, which is which is awesome, and I think that you know other other industries are like that too, and I think coffee could learn something because I think to your point, a lot of people are trying to be everything to everybody yeah. yeah and it just doesn't work yeah and i mean here's the funny they thing they end up all looking the same yeah, yeah. i mean exactly. trying to appeal yeah. to everybody means you ultimately appeal, appeal to, to nobody, nobody. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well and that's the thing it's like even even though i say that and it's mad props to forbear like their style isn't my style at all like i personally don't identify with it i identify with the good coffee and i identify with kevin tudball as a human being he does good things right but, but like that's not my style and that's fine but i still respect it majorly and love it well when you go into their cafes and you see you know, their, their posts on media and you look at their stuff. We were just talking about this actually on the walk over here. You can instantly like you get what they're about. Yeah. You feel like you can connect with who they are as a company. Right. And whether you like it or not, whether you like it or not, it, that, you know, that's up to you, but they're doing an awesome job at conveying like who they are. Yeah. Like, you know, 
Well, and that's, I think actually, ultimately, that's what I respect, right? Because I always talk about Disney, right? So let me really my quick rant on Disney because you talk chocolate and I get my opportunity. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's okay. So, I mean, the fast thing in the park, it's just attention to detail on all levels and crazy customer service. And right. it's like, you can all go in there and you can look at every single corner and there's like all the stuff and you can read the books. But on the other level, they're all about putting together this like the core values. This is who we are and we're going to teach it and we're going to be this. And it's truly yeah. what we believe in. And they've managed to do that over all these years and still continue to do it. And I just got to go to this class and I got to see like, here's what we do. And it's just, it's amazing that they can pull it off on such a level and it's cause they've stuck to it. They didn't go away from it. Like yeah. they expanded their vision, which is the coolest thing for me to learn. Their vision started this one way with that Walt Disney character who did a pretty big thing. And then like he died and his brother took over and he died and then all this stuff happened and then they had to expand their vision and there's this one dude who came in. His name is Ron Miller. He was the CEO for one year. He's the shortest one. And it was all, there was a pivotal moment where they were going, we need to keep it exactly how Walt and his brother had it. And then he was like, but we're like losing everything and it's not working anymore. Like the times have changed. And he changed the values and he put out the first R-rated movie under Touchstone. Uh, what is it? Splash. And it went against Splash with Tom the Hanks. The Mermaid? Yeah. Right. It, but it went against all of Disney's values because that wasn't on it. And so... Part of it was like he had the balls to try to like expand the vision. It didn't work. They let him go. And like, but he also got them to be like, we need to expand our vision and keep our values and keep true to everything that was important to Disney. Yeah. But like make it bigger. And that's where all these crazy other things. But yeah, I mean, that's kind of the value of like making mistakes, whether right. you're like a business center or something like it kind of shows you, you what's important. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, I'm all about values and growth and like this like establishing this is who we're going to be and this is why it's important and this is how why every single thing that we pick out that's important to us fits into the categories of why we do every single thing yeah i get pumped on that stuff and then just be authentic to it i couldn't tell <laughs> i never <laughs> i couldn't tell that you ramped <laughs> on it at all i was just thinking about it yesterday man I was thinking about this yesterday we're, we're pushing it all right we're pushing an hour here so just to recap with everybody this is chris jared and we are with charles jack Senior financial analyst at Verve Coffee Roasters. Chuck Jack. Chuck Jack, aka Chuck Jack on Instagram. Yep, AKA Three Guard. And I think I think we're gonna cap off part one right here. Uh, but stay tuned. We're gonna we're gonna follow this up with a very exciting part two. But to to kind of hit off part one, if Charles, if you want to tell people, you know, where can I get a hold of you? If someone's interested in Charles, how do they find out anything about Yeah, you? definitely. You can send me an email, charles.jack at vervecoffeeroasters.com. And like you said, Instagram, chuckjack. Chuckjack. C-H-U-K-J-A-K. Look at pictures of Phoenix. <laughs> Look at pictures Phoenix of the baby. He's got a beautiful little family, y'all. Oh, She's healthy. Yeah. She's healthy. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, that was the end of part one with Charles Jack. This is Chris and Jared. You're listening to the Cat and Cloud Coffee Podcast, brought to you by the Pull String Press, broadcasting from beneath the Balboa building in Santa Barbara, California. Shout out to Patrick Melroy and Ray Douglas for dropping off the keys to the studio today. Raymond Douglas. And we will catch you on the flip side. Stay gold, pony boy. Peace. Ah.